Hi everyone, I'm Gates. And I'm Kelsey. And welcome to Killer Country. everyone so it is 0.2 seconds later and we are in georgia (laughs) with very little banter because we just covered it all in florida so these are meant to be back-to-back episodes so y'all are just gonna have to just gonna have to listen you're gonna have to deal with it i'm so sorry like i literally like i know you just listened to me say this i don't know what happened i don't know so my initials are gf i'm always gonna be a girlfriend even though i'm married (laughs) And so I guess in my mind, I totally assume like Georgia came before Florida because G obviously becomes comes before F in my world. <sighs> it happens. I, it's fine. It's yeah. all good. And like I said, I think I said it in the last one. We gave y'all a couple of really heavy episodes the last couple. So these will be nice little, little brief mm-hmm. 40 minute on your drive to work. I, I mm-hmm. commute 40 minutes. I don't know how many other people do that, but you know. That's nice. You get to start and end an episode all in one drive. All in one drive. You don't have to start it before you leave or like listen to half of an episode on your other drive. And then have your coworkers look at you funny when there's something in the background and you're like, "Mm, sorry, it's killer country. Whoopsie daisy. (laughs) So I guess without further ado, let's go ahead and make our way into Georgia. So um, quick fun fact, I couldn't find many fun facts or any fun facts about the town that we're covering because it is, oh, it's not that tiny. But um, anyways, long story short, I wanted to tell you the coolest fact about Georgia that I found out. Did you know in the state of Georgia, there is a tree that owns itself and it owns an eight foot radius around it? What? Yep, it is located in Athens, Georgia, and because I'm stupid, that's all I have on that subject. I don't have anything else to tell you, and I can't expand on it. We don't know why the tree owns himself? No. Himself? Herself? Itself. 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 Let's go, uh, or themselves? Themselves? Non-binary? Themselves? Sure. Yeah, we don't know why the tree owns themselves, itself, but it does, and it's located in Athens, Georgia. That is not where we're located today. We're going to take a quick drive over. Sorry. My dog is sick. He's so sick right now. We're like a freaking ping pong game right now. This is my brain, guys. I I said ping pong and I really meant pinball, but they're kind of the same. It it applies. Sorry. I laughed my my husband's headphones off my head. Um, But so my dog is super sick. And um, I have two handsome, beautiful Doberman pinchers. Uh, the one that's sick is European. We um, basically rescued him from a guy on Facebook. He has such a delicate stomach. We changed his food, and then we also let him indulge in a little bit of our Thanksgiving turkey. And his stomach has just been in shreds, and we took him to the vet today. But he wakes us up every 30 minutes to go outside to the bathroom. Mm. So I am running on probably. Four hours of sleep while I am five months pregnant and working at a stressful job where people are just rude. 
<laughs> and I'm raising a boy, or I'm not raising a boy. I'm growing a boy yeah. who decides that he wants to grow way too fast. And he's measuring like one to two weeks further along than he actually is. And I have all this testosterone running through me. <laughs> yeah, I said so she's, so, she's so heated because she's got so much testosterone boiling through her. <laughs> yes, yes. So, All right, where are you taking guys. us in, in Georgia? I'm taking you guys 40 miles west from Athens to a town called Lawrenceville, Georgia. So the time of our case, it's 2011, and the population there was 28,234 people. Now, this is a um, suburb or an offset of the Atlanta area. Okay. So, And I was told by a friend that I used to have that it's not pronounced Atlanta to, like, natives don't call it Atlanta. You drop the T. It's Atlanta. Atlanta. Yep. I probably sound super stupid doing it, so we're just going to call it Atlanta. Atlanta. It's Atlanta. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of like saying Atlantis. Oh, yes. Oh, Atlanta. I was obsessed with that. I loved that movie. Me too. So much. Now, in 2021, so 10 years later, the population is 33,132 people. That was such a fun number writing. <laughs> so uh, a bit of an increase in the past 10 years. But of course, just like with Atlanta, all the areas around it are growing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I went there for 21 Pilots concert last month, and they said it's expected to be the southern um, New York City. Oh, wow. So that's how fast it's growing, and it's just it's booming. So in Lawrenceville, it's home to the Aurora Theater, which is super cool, and it hosts 90-minute walkthrough ghost tours of their historic downtown. Oh, that's cool. Which I think sounds awesome, and I think we probably we should need do to it do at some that. Point. Yes, yes, yes. I love ghost tours. I was maybe on- when we're not pregnant, so that I can have some wine before we go, because I'll be a little nervous. Yes, when we're not pregnant, we'll we'll leave our children home with our boys. Yes, and then we'll just we'll go have fun in, in Atlanta. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> so, uh, who we're talking about today is uh, Nikki Liley. So her her first name is Dominique, and I had to listen to um, I had to listen to interviews and um, episodes done on this. Because I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. Because hmm. the the way that Nikki is spelled is N-I-Q-U-E. Oh, yeah. So like yeah. Dominique is spelled D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E. Yeah, so and Nikki neat. is just, yeah, the end of it. So I had to put in little parentheses, Nikki. Like <laughs> the spelling that I'm used to. Yeah. <laughs> so we're covering Nikki Liley. And once again, we're going to ping pong. If I am ever murdered, you make sure that all of my court documents reference me as Gates. Okay. I swear if they call me Victoria, <laughs> I will come back and haunt someone. Gates. <laughs> okay. okay. I will make sure. <laughs> Thank you, everyone listening. Please make sure. Put it in your cause... will. Yes. Must always be referred to as Gates. As Gates. Like my headstone, it can be like V Gates, but it's not going to be Victoria. Yeah. V dot Gates. Yes. In a lot of the court documents that I had read, she was referred to as Dominique the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I understand that's her legal name, but that's that's not what she went by. In my yeah. opinion, in the beginning, it should have said Dominique 
Nikki in air quotations, Lily, mm-hmm. but it they called her Dominique Lily the entire time. Mm-hmm. Now she was a f- tiny little lady. She's five foot three, ninety eight pounds, soaking wet. Oh, she's little. She's little. And uh, at the time, she was previously married, and she had a daughter named Alex from a previous husband. Okay. So on Valentine's Day in 1998, she got married to a six foot four. Oh my gosh. 240 pound man named Matthew Liley that she met in an AOL chat room, which is like wow. a cute little meet. It cute. is. It is cute. And, and the he's fact a that literal foot taller. A foot and an inch 13 taller. inches taller. <laughs> yes. He's huge compared to her. Like, she is so tiny. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that a lot of everything emphasized on. Now, I had seen that some in some instances she's five foot and some she's five four. Mm-hmm. But the court documents that I had read was five three ninety eight pounds. And that's okay. what was emphasized on. And I had seen Matthew reference to 6'5", 260 pounds. But... There's just a lot of all over the place because I know I'm probably not as tall as my driver's license says, says I am. And I definitely don't weigh as much as my driver's license says I do. <laughs> I still claim it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I went to go get it redone recently and she's like, how much do you weigh? And I said, I'm pregnant. Do you really want me to tell you? <laughs> and she was like, like, she was like, no, no, this will, this will just be your goal weight after your pregnancy. I yeah, like, that's right. Oh, sure. Sure. I can try. <laughs> so. I mean, they had a wonderful, happy marriage for 13 years, according to neighbors. Everything just looked picture perfect for them. After they got married, they had two more beautiful daughters, Amanda and Rebecca. But over time from the inside, things started to turn toxic. Both mm-hmm. both of them were at fault from what is referenced. Both of them were the aggressors. Now, talking about their jobs, Nikki was a legitimate accountant, not a TikTok spicy accountant. <laughs> she was a legitimate accountant. Okay. And Matthew sold security systems for a living. So another thing that's emphasized a lot is that Nikki was the breadwinner. Oh, okay. Of this relationship. So Matthew, he you know sold security systems for a living. He used their house that they had as a model home in quotations, to show his equipment. He had 21 cameras throughout their entire house, like outside and inside. Well, that makes sense, though, because if he's showing the house to protect the house, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not like the tiny little – because we have – we personally have a camera Mm -hmm. in our uh, formal dining room that faces where we create our – Rexy, I'll say where we create our son, not our human son, our dog son. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be able to say that anymore. No. People will call Child Protective Services. Yes. So uh, we have it so we can watch him because he used to destroy the house before we started creating him. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just like a tiny little, like I'd say one by one camera. Hmm. I'm talking about the cameras that you see on the side of buildings. Oh, like, like the big security cameras. The big security cameras he had all throughout his house. Oh, wow. So it made a lot of people uncomfortable. And it actually encouraged Alex. So um, Nikki's daughter from her previous marriage, mm-hmm. it encouraged her to move out at 16 because one, she did not like that. They butt heads. They did mm. not get along at all. And the cameras made her especially uncomfortable 
she specifically mentioned in multiple interviews, like across multiple news outlets, Mm -hmm. or maybe they just all picked up on the same story, whatever it was, everything mentioned that there were cameras stationed directly facing the couch in the living room. So anytime that you would go to watch TV, you're being monitored the entire time, which is super sketch. That makes me uncomfortable, like thinking about and listening to. And because Matt had this huge security system set up, he had an office that had all a ton of different monitors in it. <coughs> he spent most of his spare time watching that camera footage that he got. See that? Mm, I don't like that. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. It's creepy. It's sketch. We don't like it. Yeah. He also had over 500 thousand audio recordings of their fights and it took investigators over a year and a half to listen to all of them he literally documented everything Everything. every movement every single thing you couldn't do you couldn't fart without it being documented (laughs) in that house well at this point i'm hoping it bites him in the ass okay (laughs) i mean this is this is kind of a a a shut open and shut case as well (laughs) um so okay so just like with I mean, I'm assuming most uh, married couples, their arguments were over sex and money. Hmm. Those aren't arguments that my husband and I had. Not usually. No. They're saying, like, everyone just acted like it was so, just, it was the norm for married couples to argue about sex and money. Oh, my gosh. My, My wedding anniversary is in two days, and I literally don't have anything for it. Gates face palm. Oh, oh, oh no. My gosh. It's okay. It's okay. Uh my head <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. It's okay. It'll be fine. It's all good. <laughs> It'll be fine. He doesn't listen to this podcast anyways. So <laughs> he won't you guys know. can panic by with ta- me. By the time it's posted, it'll be gone, long gone. Y'all already have fought made up. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> It'll literally be hours later. Yeah. <laughs> Our wedding anniversary is on the third. Oh, Lord. Oh, yikes. Okay. Anyways, enough about me. So this couple was over $300,000 in debt. So Ooh. they had a nice house in the suburbs called Sydney's Cove, and they kept up with the image of being a nice, respectable, wholesome family. Mm-hmm. So they were basically doing everything that they could. I'm sure the security systems did not help that, all that electricity running, just whatever in the beginning they tried to work things out they were speaking with the counselor over their crumbling marriage but there was only so much that a counselor or a therapist can do to help when one party refuses responsibility and sees themselves as a victim yeah this man this man makes me so mad anytime anyone says okay i think of this guy Mm. because he's one of those people that you know okay he'll he'll say okay just multiple times just to make sure that you're understanding what he's saying okay oh that would be infuriating (laughs) imagine listening to coverage in audio (laughs) recordings of him and he is such a narcissist like he is the victim like he can never do anything wrong. And we will go into depth about this. Mm-hmm. I know I typically don't like to start bashing someone like <laughs> so early on into the episode. 
But this guy legitimately makes me so angry. Mm. He painted Nikki as the mentally unstable one in their relationships. And he put trackers in his, in her purse and in her vehicle because he would say that she would just storm off during fights. And he was scared that one day she wouldn't come back. Yeah, she probably shouldn't have. So uh, he tracked her, he tracked her cell phone. He put trackers in her car. He put audio recorders in her purse. Like he just snuck these things in when he, he thought that she wasn't paying attention or whenever she wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. On June 28th, 2011, Nikki called 911 to tell them that her husband was refusing to let her leave the house. And at this point, she was already packed up and ready to leave for the night. And he got on the phone with the dispatcher and told police that his wife was having a temper tantrum. And he told her, I don't think we need the police. If they got to the point where she needed to call the police, they probably should have come. They did. Okay, good. So, of course, like, on the phone, the dispatcher told him that she needed to hear it from the woman that made the call. And I listened to this recording, and Nikki sounded so defeated. Like she got on the phone and she told them that they didn't need to come, that she would just stay in the house all day. Like it was so heartbreaking to hear her say that. Mm -hmm. But the dispatcher did tell her that she had already sent the police. She had already dispatched the police and that they were on their way. And when they arrived to speak with Nikki, she legitimately would not even look at them, would not make eye contact, did not look in their direction. And during this time, it's all recorded on because of all the cameras at the house Mm -hmm. And she's just sitting on the front porch with her packed bag sitting beside her, just not looking at the police and saying, I'll just stay here all day. No action could be taken on the police's part at this point because she was saying at this time she didn't need to leave the house, that she would just stay all day. Right. So once again, I am mentioning that Matt was extremely manipulative and in my opinion, narcissistic, Mm -hmm. like underlined, capitalized, bolded, narcissistic. So no action was taken on the police's part. Later that day, Nikki was able to leave. So I don't know what happened to cause it to where she was able to leave, but she just grabbed the bag and left. And she was planning on staying out overnight. But once again, Matt is extremely manipulative. And in my opinion, narcissistic, bolded, underlined, capitalized, everything goes on that. He had their 12-year-old daughter, Amanda, call Nikki and beg her to come home. That's sick. Like, this this phone conversation was recorded by Matt, once again, because everything is recorded and documented by Matt. And it's heartbreaking. Like, you hear Amanda on the phone telling Nikki that they needed to go on a vacation as a family because she thought that it would fix everything. And her... Amanda, her voice broke on the phone as she told her mom, we need to save this family. Can you imagine trying to leave your abusive, narcissistic husband? Yeah. And your daughter calling. I don't know why she left her daughters in the first place. Yeah. Why didn't she bring them with her? Unless I have he just no idea. Wouldn't let, it, wouldn't let it happen. Yeah. But whatever it was, like she left them there. But can you imagine your daughter trying to tell you, we need to save this family? Mm. So she, I mean, obviously she returned. She was guilted by her daughter into coming back and things returned to normal after that night Hmm. for the next two weeks. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) On July 8th, 2011, 
Nikki and Matt decided to have a date night. They went out to dinner, a movie. Everything seemed normal. And as usual, whenever they arrived back, the cameras caught everything. They even caught when Nikki went out on the front porch right before bed to smoke her nightly cigarette. And that is the last documentation we have of Nikki. She just disappears without a trace. With all those cameras around, she just disappeared without a trace. Disappeared without a trace with all of those cameras around. Well, I wonder who has control of the cameras. Hmm. Wonder. <laughs> now, um, I have seen two different um, reports. One of them is from news articles, and the other report is from the um, appeal paperwork. So during the appeal, it said that on Monday, July 11th, Nikki's father tried to call her call her on her cell phone, but the phone was answered by Matt. And during this phone call, this is when Nikki's father found out that she was missing. And so at that point, Nikki's father calls to report her missing because Matt had not. So did Matt tell her that, tell him that she had been missing? Mm -hmm. He told her that he hasn't seen her since like super early on the 8th. Or, no, I'm sorry, super late at night on the 8th. Technically, it was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning on the 9th. He said that that was the last time that he had seen her. They had gotten into an argument. He went to his office to sleep on the floor. What? So that's what some reports say. Now, the other reports say that uh, on July 11th, Matt called Nikki's sister, Amy, and asks her if she has spoken to Nikki. Mm -hmm. Amy says, no, she hasn't spoken to Nikki. And when she finds out that... He also hasn't seen her for the past two days. She tells him immediately, you need to call the police. You need to report my sister missing. Yeah. Because I don't know where she's at. You don't know where she's at. And he said that he didn't want to call the police because he didn't want to upset her by getting the police involved because he didn't want her to be embarrassed to come home. Um, She'd been the one calling the police in the first place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, Matthew ends up calling the police and filing a missing report person's report. And during this phone call, he let them know that him and Nikki had gotten in a fight on the night of the 8th and that he had gone to sleep on the floor in his office. It's downstairs away from the bedroom. And he said when he woke up the next morning, she was gone. And the only thing that was missing was her toothbrush. I don't buy it. (laughs) I don't buy it either. (laughs) I mean, why would you take your toothbrush, not your phone, not any money, not any call? Not your child. (laughs) Not your children. Because there were two living with her Uh, at the point. He said that her phone, purse, and all the tracking devices that he would usually plant on her were still at the house, and he didn't know how to track her down at this point. I hope police are, like, getting red flags everywhere. He's literally telling them, oh, I plant tracking devices on my wife, and she just happened to not have one this time. Yeah, but, I mean, if if you basically take me bashing this man out of the equation... He's sitting there saying, oh, you know, my wife has a history of mental illness. We'll get into arguments and she'll just storm off. Sometimes she'll leave the house for hours at a time. And I just want to know where she's at to make sure that she's safe. That's what him as a narcissist would put off to the police. And they would believe him because he seems so honest at the time because they don't understand him or his personality at that time. Yeah. Okay. He claimed that mentally she had been breaking down for a couple of weeks, and at this point, he thinks that she finally had just had enough and walked away. He said this is not the first time that she had run away, but it's the first time that she had been away overnight. 
Of course, then he starts to overshare with the police officer that he's speaking to on the phone. And he tells him that the fight that he had with Nikki was about sex. He tells the police officer that he told his wife that their sex had been nothing special. So, <laughs> so he suggests that she puts on an outfit for him. Oh, this dude looks like a thumb. <laughs> so he wants his wife to be sexy for him and put on an outfit. Maybe and he should do a little bit of extra. Maybe he should be. Uh, yeah. Maybe he should be a little less extra and do a little extra. He then tells the police officer that he thinks that that that's what might have set her off. Maybe. Just possibly. He said that he thought that he she maybe just checked herself into a mental hospital suffering from a breakdown after that fight that they had. And once again, he he just tries to hammer in this point that his wife has had a history of mental imbalances. Mm-hmm. He tells the police officer that during this whole conversation in the vehicle that he told his wife that if she didn't straighten up, he would divorce her. And he even saw an attorney about it. And once again, I'm going to say one thing that really frustrates me about this man is listening to his interviews or the recordings of his voice saying, okay, it's not okay. It's like, okay, like every other five words. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so a day after Nikki went missing, Matt went to go see that divorce attorney that he had talked about. Of and course. He fought, no, he filed for divorce. And she's literally missing. She's missing. And honestly, it sounds a little sus if you ask me. Your wife is missing 24 hours and you go and file for divorce. Wow. Now to top it off. That same day that he went to go file for a divorce, he went down to the courthouse to file a motion to have Nikki committed. I thought she may have checked herself in. Yeah. Matt. No. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. No. Even though he claimed that he thought that maybe she had checked herself into a hospital because she had a mental break, he just wanted to make sure, mm-hmm. you know, and he uh, went down, filed paperwork to get her committed. And during the trial, Nikki's daughter, Alex, testified that Nikki was the furthest from crazy that you could get. And Nikki's family was absolutely furious about what Matt had been implying. And they were even more irate that it took him two days to tell people that Nikki was missing. Yeah, especially her family, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I can under- like, missing people as adults are so hard because... An adult has the right to disappear if they want to disappear, right? Especially mm-hmm. Nikki, in her case, she had been trying. She'd been trying to leave. So I could understand waiting. If he truly had nothing to do with it, I could understand waiting a day, two days to see if she came back. But I would, at the very least, have contacted everyone in her circle to make sure she was safe. Yeah. You know, you don't have to tell me where she is, but is she okay? Mm-hmm. And her sister actually made the point that or she had stated that she felt that the entire time that Matthew had, like, she said the entire time that Nikki had been missing, mm-hmm. Matthew had been trying to spread and spin this story, stating that Nikki was crazy and that's why she was missing. And she said that it felt like he was never concerned that his wife was missing no. at all. And this is between the time that she goes missing to the time that she was found. A week after Nikki went missing, her daughter, Alex, not her husband, her daughter helped organize a search party to find Nikki. Wow. 
And as well as Nikki or yeah, as well as Alex organizing that search party, her sister, Amy is trying to get in touch with the news to spread the story, to bring as much awareness as she could to her missing sister as she could. Yeah. But she also wanted to get the community involved in the search for her missing sister. Mm-hmm. So there were over 100 volunteers that showed up for the search and they all had like red t-shirts on. So they were easily found. Mm Mm-hmm. And they spread out through the suburbs searching for Nikki. Now, can you guess who decided that they did not want to be involved in the search? Matt, of course. Oh, man, you guessed it. You're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) And I tried to find statistics on the shortest search that uh, someone had found. or I tried to do a search online for the... Shortest time that it took for someone to find someone, like a mm-hmm. missing person from the time that they started the search party to the fi- time that they were found. Mm-hmm. I could not find anything. But I can tell you that in my mind, this is the shortest search for a missing person in the history of ever because they searched for 10 minutes before the search was called off and she was found. What? 10 minutes. In the suburbs <sighs> surrounding her house – it took people 10 – it took volunteers 10 minutes to find her. Uh, oh, Amy. my gosh. Yeah. And, of course, her sister, her daughter, they were involved. And her sister said that she heard a scream from the woods and everyone kind of stopped what they were doing to go investigating, like to go to investigate what happened. Right. And it was a former coworker of Nikki's that was one that oh. found her. She said that she was, as she was searching, she found this huge pile of dead leaves and she just started kicking around to see, you know, if anything was in it. And that's when she kicked enough leaves away and she saw Nikki's foot. Oh no. Like perfectly pedicured, pristine foot. And yeah. Remember how I said, I've like emphasized a few times Mm -hmm. that they were searching the suburbs around her house. They found her less than a mile away from her house, naked under a pile of leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately, you know exactly who her sister started pointing fingers at. She has not been shy about this at all the entire time. She immediately started pointing her fingers at Nick. At Nick? Oh, no. no. (laughs) It's because his name is Matt, and that's my husband. Yes. I've like thought about how weird this was the entire time because I don't have the problem with anyone ever having my name mm-hmm. except for Gates McFadden. Yeah. But so I don't, I don't know what it's like <laughs> to someone be presenting on a case and it be my name. Yeah. But I mean, my husband, Nick has a very Matthew common too. name. I mean, yeah, both of them are. <laughs> yep. Immediately, Amy started pointing her fingers at Matt, claiming that he had waited two days to report her missing, and he even admitted to the fact that they had been fighting the night that she went missing. She said immediately, as soon as she went missing and as soon as they found her, it seemed like all he wanted to do was spread the story, saying that she was mentally imbalanced, that she had things going on, that she was cuckoo, was, she was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Mm-hmm. Amy claimed that she had seen Nikki two weeks ago. This is in an interview, and she's crying. She's bawling. She said that she had seen Nikki two weeks ago, and she was perfectly fine mentally and physically. Now, immediately, the police started to assume that it was a homicide and not a suicide, 
because Nikki did not walk to where she was found dead because the bottom of her feet were completely bare, like completely clean. I mean, yeah, she wouldn't have walked there, but naked either. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's the middle of a hot July summer in Georgia. Like you're not walking around the suburbs naked. No, definitely not. So obviously the police search the Liley home and they tell reporters at the time, Matthew is not a person of interest nor a suspect in the murder of his wife. As the police were searching the house, obviously they were specifically interested in Matthew's recordings, both audio and video to see what was picked up the night of Nikki's murder. And can you guess what was on those? Hopefully the entire murder because he forgot to stop the recording. Mm, I wish you were right. Oh. Literally nothing was on those cameras or audio files. He claimed that it was turned off during that time. And he says that as after Nikki went and had her cigarette out on the porch that night, she went into his office where he was sleeping on the floor and turned off the power to all of the cameras. Yeah. All without him knowing. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. So that next, I want to talk about the autopsy. Okay. The police were floored. They were so shocked when the autopsy report came back because she had high levels of GHB in her system. Date rape. Yeah. As I'll say, for those of you that don't know, it's a date rape drug. Mm -hmm. The investigator said that he had never seen a suicide, not that they were saying that this was a suicide, but they had said that they had never seen a suicide with GHB in their system, and that was another indicator to them, like another red flag that this was a homicide. Yeah. So- For those of you that don't know what GHB is, it's a depressant drug, meaning that it slows down the messages traveling between the brain and the body. And the main reason why it's used as a date rape drug is that it's colorless, odorless, and has a bitter taste, meaning that it's easily slipped into people's drinks. Mm -hmm. Earlier, I had mentioned that uh, the fight between Matt and Nick occurred because of sex. He had told uh, police that they did not have sex that night. But the autopsy shows otherwise. Well, she was also found naked, so. (laughs) It said that she had sex shortly before her murder. And unfortunately, we don't know if it was consensual. We don't know if it was Mm. sex or rape. That's terrible. It's it's horrible. It's so infuriating. It's upsetting. And because of the fact that she was found outside after seven days in the July Georgia heat, Mm -hmm. her cause of death could not be determined in the autopsy. There were no knife wounds, no bullet holes, no blunt force trauma, nothing outwardly that they could figure out what would cause her murder. Hmm. Her cause of death officially at this time is strangulation because because of decomp, they don't have any ligature marks or finger or hand prints sure. to explain the strangulation. Well, and with how little she was, I wonder, his hands had to have been big, so I wonder if the ligature marks wouldn't show up in a normal place you know i'm obviously not an autopsy tech so i don't know exactly where they would show up but if his hands are so big maybe it covered a wider area so it didn't necessarily look like a ligature mark mm-hmm. and another thing another area that i'm going to cover in my uh case notes it had said that uh he could have just sat on her and asphyxiated her wow because of how big he was like during arguments he would just lay on top of her Oh my god! Like well, to get her to stop fighting him, she that's was probably so what he did tiny. Then. 
it could have been like maybe she yeah. started to come to actually no i take that back because she did have such high levels of ghb in her system i don't know he probably just laid right on top of her probably did and after the autopsy comes out the police decide that matt liley is the only suspect but unfortunately they didn't have enough evidence to charge him all of it was circumstantial mm. so at this point Matt starts isolating himself and his two daughters, Amanda and Rebecca, from the rest of Nikki's family. To this day, or at least to 2019, Amanda and Rebecca do not have contact with the rest of Nikki's family. Really? Really. It, like, nothing good, at least, that I could find. I didn't dive too deep into the daughters because yeah. this really isn't about them. This is about Matt and this is about Nikki. Right. Matt and his daughters did not attend Nikki's memorial, nor did any of them attend her funeral. So they basically had nothing to do with her after she died. And at this, it's at this time that Matt refuses to cooperate with the police, and he's refusing to meet with them. On February 13th, a day before what would have been Matt and Nikki's 14th wedding anniversary, reporters drive past the house and found moving vehicles out front. Really? Really. Like, it, imagine, if these reporters didn't drive past the house... Yeah. He'd have just gone. He would have just disappeared without a trace, basically. Just like his uh. wife did for a brief period of time. So Matthew had decided that he was going to move him and his two daughters up to a small town in Vermont called Londonderry. That's such a cute name. <laughs> So at, at this time, we're in 2012, the town of Londonderry boasted a grand total of 1,759 people. He's trying it to was, disappear. He's trying to disappear and move to a small town in Vermont. Now, obviously, Alex, Nikki's daughter from her previous marriage, was heartbroken that Matthew had cut her out of her sister's lives. She said that she helped raise those girls. And even to today, Alex says... This, like, I don't believe that they were doing any of this out of, like, evil in their heart. I believe right. that it's all Matt. My arms and my house are always open to those girls. Oh, that's sweet. So there is real love in Alex's heart for her sisters. Yeah. Now, this is three years later. Sergeant John Richter works specifically on cold cases. He spent over a year and a half going through the video and audio footage obtained from Matt. He spent over a year and a half going through all the video and audio footage obtained from Matt. And one argument that he overheard on the recording was a back and forth between Nikki and Matt. She was asking him, how does he expect her to live not knowing where an audio recorder is or what emails of hers are being read? And he put it back on her and said, who brought that on themselves? Come not on. Nikki. Not Nikki. Like that Nobody is deserves a that. No, that's such a narcissistic thing to do. Like, turn it around on her. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not even okay, like, being in a relationship and going through the other person's phone. Like, that's private. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, my husband and I, like, if I was the jealous, like, uh, over whatever type, mm -hmm. if I wanted to look through his phone, I could. And he's told me that. Because whenever we first got together, I just got out of a horrible marriage. Yeah. And my ex cheated on me. Mm-hmm. And anytime that Nick and I were just driving along and his truck and his phone would go off, immediately, without hesitation, my eyes would narrow in on his phone. Right. And I had told him, like, on our second or third date, 
I was like, I don't mean to be doing this. I promise you it's not you. And I explained to him the situation and he was like, yeah. And he, I mean, this is our second or third date. And he's like, Gates, if you want to go through my phone, go through my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop you. I have nothing to hide from you. Mm-hmm. And to this day, that's how our relationship is. If right. he wants to go through my phone, more power to him. Just don't look at my Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> don't look at my Amazon. <laughs> I have notes made that say Christmas presents. Matt, do not look. <laughs> because he'll look and know what I'm getting him. Oh, rude, Matt. I know. Okay. I forgot where we were. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So he's like, who brought that on themselves? Sergeant Richter has at this point gone over 12,000 hours of audio recordings. And he said that the only thing that was crazy about Nikki from what he could hear on the audio recordings is that she was married to a monster. Yeah. He says now in the beginning, uh, I didn't include this in my notes. So my memory might be a little sketched or sparse. But basically, my understanding was that Matt automatically turned over audio files to the police. That was bold. Yes. But because of the horrible, narcissistic, annoying man that he is, it was all fights where during the time in my mind, he's going through and it's like, okay, I'm going to give these to people. I'm going to let people listen to them so they can understand how crazy she is. And he's like, He's not the aggressor, uh, air quotes here. Um, he is basically like, okay, you need to calm down. Like he's talking to her in a placating tone. Oh my God. Like, it's just so manipulative. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm getting so triggered over to this guy in this case, because he reminds me of my ex-husband. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe that's why like I'm yelling into this phone and having to drink water every five <laughs> seconds. This phone, this microphone. <laughs> So he was saying the only thing crazy about Nikki was the fact that she was married to the monster. And he said that the recording showed that Matt had just as big of a temper as his wife had in those mm-hmm. earlier recordings that were turned over to the police. Because these were um, – I, I don't know how these second ones were found, but they weren't in the original ones that were given to the police. Oh, Okay. During these audio recordings, Nikki claimed that not only was he physically abusive to her, but he was also emotionally abusive as well. Yeah. So once again, this is three years later. Sergeant Richter had said that over the year and a half of listening to Nikki and Matt, he grew fond of Nikki as a person. Basically, he said that he felt in the beginning that no one cared for her. He said that he made a vow because he was there. He was one of the original volunteers to help look for her. Mm -hmm. He made a vow then and there to never give up on her case. Oh, isn't that like so wholesome? He almost like fell in love with her after she was gone. He's, he's such a sweet looking man and he sounds so sweet. I just, I just wanted to give him like a big hug. Like he just looks like a freaking teddy bear. (laughs) Now, uh, now, now is going to be the next. So now is the next. So, uh, he said from the audio recordings that she sounded like a wonderful woman, a wonderful mother, and by all accounts, a wonderful wife. He just said that it seemed like she just was not enough for her husband. So even though she was giving it her all and doing her best, it just wasn't enough for Matt. Mm. One day, Sergeant Richter got the amazing idea to have a forensics expert autopsy Matt's hard drive, 
hoping that the new technology that was available to them at that point would help gather some more evidence that they were not able to get three years ago. Mm -hmm. Two weeks after submitting the hard drives, they were dropped off uh, at his desk by Detective Ford. Can you guess what they found? Hopefully all of the recording of the night that he murdered Nikki. Close. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not that, you know, open and closed. What they did find was that Nikki never turned off the power to the cameras. All the files did record like they were supposed to, but they were deleted. Ha ha. Good. <laughs> so this is the smoking gun that they needed. At this point, they were able to prove that someone intentionally erased all of the footage that would have shown when Nikki had left or when she was taken from the house. It is immediately assumed that Matt was the one that was deleted that had deleted the information, mm-hmm. not only because he had access to it, because he had gotten into a fight with his wife, but that he was a security expert and he knew everything that there was to know about his security systems. Yep. Once again, this is all circumstantial evidence, but it was enough to bring this case back to life and get the police involved. And this is literally perfect timing, like cherry on top, perfect timing, because Matthew was visiting. He was in town visiting from Vermont at federal court to testify in a civil suit about Nikki's life insurance money. Yeah, because once again, Nikki was the breadwinner. He can't Mm -hmm. do anything without Nikki and her money. (laughs) And right there, Sergeant Richter showed up to the courthouse. And after Matt left the courtroom, Sergeant Sergeant Richter arrested him. Good. Now, while Matt was in jail, he devised a plan to help get him out of jail. And what he did was he enlisted the help of his two daughters And he told them to set up a YouTube channel to, in quotations, tell you the truth about what happened. (laughs) They used the YouTube channel to help defend him against Nikki's family's accusations. And you can hear in a jailhouse recording, Matt tells his daughters, make sure you tell people what we have set up. Make sure you tell people that we have set up a YouTube channel to tell you the truth about what happened in our home. And all these years, we were told to be silent to protect mom's image. We can't be silent anymore. My daddy's now in jail because of these false allegations, and it's time we tell the truth. This is a quote from, from him Matt. To, her, to the girls. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And he keeps telling her, don't forget to tell people about the YouTube site because we want this to be aired on TV. And let me tell you, I absolutely hate the verbiage that he used because the verbiage that he had used was distancing himself and his daughter from Nikki with a verbiage saying that we were told to protect mom's image, not my mom. Yeah. We were not mommy. Mm-hmm. My mom's or we were told to protect mom's image versus my daddy's now in jail. <laughs> so it's not mom and dad. It's not mommy and daddy. It's mom and daddy. Yeah. And they're told by Matt, say something insulting from this pathological lying family that doesn't want their dirty laundry aired, but the truth will, will come out. And you hear his daughter saying, yes, sir. They have a video on YouTube and they almost quote him verbatim. And they say, 
It's finally time for us to tell the truth and for us to call them out on their lives. And now it's our chance. In the video, she says the family, not my family, not our family. Mm-hmm. The family is making sure that we can't say anything. We can't argue. And they want to keep their dirty laundry from being aired. So right back to that dirty laundry being aired that her father had said. She started talking about how her mom started pacing back and forth. And she started kind of mumbling to herself, trying to paint her mom as mentally unstable. She's just following along with her father, mm-hmm. trying to paint Nikki, Nikki as being unstable. And their dad gets his wish. The video does end up on the news. And Nancy Grace even did a segment on it. Whoa. Everyone in the true crime world knows who she is. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, their sister Alex, once again, was heartbroken over it. And she said that her sisters had said some pretty hateful things about their family. And she said that the girls painted their mom into someone that she really wasn't. Now we're going to get to move on to the trial. So the autopsy revealed no obvious cause of death, just like we had mentioned earlier. The medical examiner testified on the stand that she found no evidence that Nikki died of a natural cause, disease, or self, self-inflicted injury or violent accident. The medical examiner found injuries consistent with strangulation, but the way the body was found in the decomposition messed with a definitive finding, and they concluded that Nikki's death was highly suspicious of homicidal violence, and that was in quotations. Good. The prosecution got a very unpleasant surprise when they called Matt's ex-wife, Joanne Lucy, to the stand, and there's even like a testimony from one of the jurors, and she said that she had never felt that uncomfortable in her entire life. They had been divorced at this time for about 20 years, and the episode that I had watched on 2020, Sassily made the comment that the legal bar turned into the singles bar. (laughs) Lucy literally kept making eyes at Nick and flirting with him. Nick. Matt. <laughs> Matt. Lucy literally kept making eyes at Matt and flirting with him. And what? she said, yeah, she said, he just has beautiful eyes and he knows that he has beautiful eyes. If and our listeners have not looked him up by now, he's <laughs> disgusting. He looks like a thumb. Yes. And I'm just sitting here like, uh. Excuse me, lady, hello. (laughs) We're at his wife's murder trial. Yes. (sighs) Now, a slightly redeeming fact about her is that she did give the prosecutor something to work with, and she had told them that Matt had gotten rough with her in the past. Okay. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Now, during the time that friends and family were searching for Nikki, it is said that Matt, in in the uh, testimony, it said that Matt proved to be a roadblock because he didn't like the pictures that they had provided for the flyers and he didn't like the uh he didn't like what was written on the flyers to help find her. So he always had like something to say, something to kind of hold it up. And the jury also learned during that time that Nikki was uh she was just reported missing when Matt made a remark to a family member that he would be blamed if she was found drugged and murdered. And this yeah. is before she was found drugged and murdered. Yeah, you sure would be. And especially when you say that, and then she's found drugged and murdered. And not to mention, he gave many different timelines of events that happened the night of her disappearance. So to police, to friends, the family, to whoever, it was just a different story almost every time. Alex 
the daughter got on the stand and testified that many nights she would lay awake whenever she was still living with him. And she would hear her mom pleading to Matt, please get off me and telling him that he was hurting her. Oh my God. Later in the trial, Sergeant Richter got on the stand to testify about what he heard on the audio files, the audio files that once again, he had spent a year and a half listening to. And on one of those recordings, we find out that Nikki was at one point suicidal and Matt tells her that he should have let her kill herself. So he didn't have to. Oh my God. Yeah. And this is what the prosecution thinks happened. He thinks that, or they think that uh, Matt gave Nikki some GHB to lower her resistance. They had sex. After that, he strangled her or sat on top of her to asphyxiate her. After she was dead, he took her out of the house and he disposed of her in the woods. And then he came home. He came home and he deleted all of the evidence. For Matt's defense. They brought both of his daughters to the stands, and they said that they loved their daddy very much. And they said that, yes, he did have arguments with his wife, but both of them had said that they never saw things get physically violent between their parents. And that they never saw any bruises that could have been made when they weren't around. And all of this contradicted the audio recordings because you could literally hear Nikki yelling at Matt to get off of her, and she was Mm -hmm. telling him that he was hurting her. In the recordings, it paints a very vivid picture of Matt being verbally abusive, and it shows him exhibiting controlling behavior. Some examples including restraining Nikki by locking her in the bathroom and sitting on top of her. Oh, my gosh. So if he did asphyxiate her by sitting on top of her, it would not be the first time. Mm-hmm. Another big part of the trial was them saying that he recorded multiple private conversations between Nikki and her family. My conversations that he had no reason to be a part of. He was just recording everything. And friends of Nikki's testified that she had told them that she was planning on filing for divorce from Matt. But she said that she was scared because he threatened to kill her if she tried to leave with the family or with their children. Yeah. And remember, Nikki was the breadwinner of this relationship. Without her, he doesn't get to continue the life. His life Mm -hmm. the way it is. And during the trial, the judge asked Matt if he was willing to take the stand. And this human hemorrhoid told the judge that he was just too emotional. (laughs) He couldn't take the stand because he was too emotional. He wasn't too emotional to file for divorce 24 hours after and... (laughs) 24 hours after killing his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh... For closing arguments, when the defense attorney went up, he confirmed to the jury that his clients could be an argumentative SOB and that he is pretty damn good at pushing people's buttons. But the attorney wanted to know what all that had to do with murder. Just because you're an argumentative SOB and pretty good, pretty damn good at pushing people's buttons, what does that have to do with murder? Um, Because it shows the type of person you are. Exactly. Now, the prosecution had the last word in the trial, and they had an audio recording of a defeated Nikki saying, welcome to my world. You killed me a long time ago. Whoa. How chilling is that? Yeah, that's listening, deep. Listening to the voice of a dead woman in a murder trial talking to her husband, telling him that he killed her a long time ago. And the 
after that audio recording, the prosecuting attorney said, find him guilty because that is exactly what he is. After five years of them building a case, it only took the jury three hours to decide his fate. Now I have, um, this is from the appeal. I have it on my phone because I didn't have time to put it on my computer. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, convicted of malice murder, which in Georgia is their first degree murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, one count of felony murder, one count of aggravated assault, and a count of unlawful eavesdropping and surveillance, intentionally recording private conversations of Dominique Nikki her father and her sister. And when the judge asked him if he had anything to say about the verdict, Matt said, I didn't do it and I'll be filing an appeal. (laughs) When the judge sentenced him, he told Matt that he was going to follow the state's recommendation and give him life in prison without the possibility of parole. Good. So obviously, um, so this happened in 2015, 2016. In 2019, he had appealed and thankfully it was denied. Good. So I'm sure he's going to try to appeal some more and some more, and hopefully each time it will just be denied because mm-hmm. we know what a human hemorrhoid this man is. Yes. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, I feel like it's a pretty open and shut case, even though yeah. I know there's not a whole lot of evidence. Like, it's pretty clear what happened. Exactly. So, I mean, that is the case of Nikki Liley. And hopefully one day Amanda and Rebecca will get out from under their father's thumb and just see how abusive and narcissistic and just hateful he is as a person. But growing up with that, that can take some time. So it can. Hopefully, yeah, like you said, they can come to that and their family can come together again Mm -hmm. without him. (laughs) Just hopefully. And like Alex said, Amanda, Rebecca, if somehow you guys are listening, your sister is waiting for you guys with open arms. Yeah. Like, just reach out to them. Reach out to her. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just trying to help. Yeah. So, are there any fa- other families in Georgia who have open arms waiting for their loved ones? I'm sure there I, are plenty. So, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Don Hightower. He was last seen on Saturday October the 30th, he's a white man. He was last seen in Wrightsville, Georgia. He weighs about 235 pounds. He's a five foot 10 male and he's 59 years old. So the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Eastman Field Office and the Johnson County Sheriff's Office are asking for the public's health in locating Don Hightower, a 59 year old white male. He was last seen at 8 o'clock on Saturday, October the 30th, leaving his sister's residence in Wrightsville, Georgia. This is in Johnson County, driving a gold 2003 Camry, Toyota Camry, with the tag Alpha Kilo Echo 9780. He was last seen wearing red sweatpants and a red UGA sweatshirt. He has a medical condition that may result in confusing and difficulty and difficulty commu- communicating. If you have any information to help us locate Mr. Hightower, 
please contact the Johnson County Sheriff's Office at 478-864-3941, or you can contact the Georgia Bureau of Investigation Eastman Field Office at 1-800-597-TIPS, or that's 1-800-597-8477. If you have any information or if you see this man, please give one of them a call. He's an older man, blue eyes. He has a nice little mustache. He looks, he doesn't look like my dad, (laughs) but he kind of looks like him in the fact that he looks like the dad from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. (laughs) Oh, in a way, not as dramatic, but you know how Mm -hmm. cartoons are. Yeah. And if you want to, you should support us on Patreon. Um, We are found on Patreon at Killer Country Podcast. And if you would like to follow us on Facebook where we post pictures, our Facebook is facebook.com backslash Killer Country Podcast. You can also look at those pictures on Instagram at Killer Country Podcast. And if you have any campfire stories, any case suggestions, or if you just want to say hi, hello, you can email us at killercountrypodcast at gmail.com. And now tonight you have gotten... They're not going to be posted on the same night, but no. <laughs> you have gotten both Florida and Georgia. So I, happy binging and <laughs> we will see y'all in Hawaii. Yes. I will remember <laughs> this time. I promise my guys. Yes. Hawaii Gates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.